0: Sam, quickly, before we start, who is the most exciting teenager in Europe that's not Jadon Sancho? Oh, Jack, you know me so well, man. Vinicius Junior. Vinicius Junior. On with the show. and welcome to BR Football Ranks, the brand new podcast from Bleacher Report, which takes the whole world of football, shakes it up and puts it back in the right order. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me are two of BR Football's finest. Firstly, a man who goes by many names, head of the ranking department, ranker in chief, the rank god, is the one and only Sam Tai. Hello, Jack. And our man with his ear to the turf, the exclusive scoop of this whole operation. Football Insider, Dean Jones. He's a massive introduction. Hi, Jack. On today's show, we're going to be ranking some of the things that Sam thinks will happen in 2019, from trophies to tactics to transfers. But before that, it's time for Hot Takes. Dean, what are you starting us off with?
1: Look, as far as I'm concerned at the moment, there's only one story we should be talking about. The transfer windows opened straight away. Chelsea have gone out there and spent £58 million, $73 million on taking Christian Pulisic from Dortmund to Stamford Bridge. It's a staggering deal. It puts loads of pressure on his young shoulders. But he's used to dealing with that. He joined Dortmund at 16. Um, He feels that by going to Chelsea, he can um, live up to the hype. He can take his game to the next level. Ideally, I think he wanted to join Liverpool. They've always wanted him. Klopp would have liked him before, but just felt at the moment he doesn't need him. Could he hang around any longer? Could he wait for Liverpool to come along? No, he couldn't. So he thought, I'm going to go for this. I have to take my chance to go to the Premier League. Christian Pulisic is on his way, and I'm very excited about it. And I hope he
0: does live up to the hype. I think he very much might do. Sam, your thoughts on Pulisic to Chelsea?
2: I think Pulisic is an awesome player. Um, I feel like that very simple point has been left behind a little bit in the discussion over the transfer because it's happening in the summer. It's happening for a lot of money. It potentially marginalises other Chelsea players that the fans really want to see. I feel like the fact that he's just really good, and not only that, but a really good fit tactically for the system that Chelsea play, I think he'll suit their style of play so well. I find it bizarre that more people aren't really on board with this and really excited about this. They're thinking about the ramifications and the possibilities. They're not just excited about the fact that Chelsea have signed a really good player. And that's all you can really ask for from a fan.
1: They've paid over the odds, no doubt about it, but they know that. But they know that if they'd have waited, those other clubs might have come back in. So that's why Chelsea has spent the extra money on him. Surely it's a
0: commercial deal that makes sense as well. You know, a young, marketable athlete, that's a huge... Maybe eventually, them, yeah. I it. don't
1: think that initially that's going to have a huge benefit. I don't think every American is suddenly running out to go and buy a Chelsea shirt with Pulisic on the back. But eventually, obviously, that that will
2: have its own benefits, yeah.
0: Sam, what's your hot take for the week? So
2: my hot take is that Fernandinho is City's Manchester City's most important player. He is their MVP. I think if I'd have said this about 12 months ago, people would have gone... You're crazy. You know, Kevin De Bruyne was having the season of his life. Aguero was scoring all the goals. Raheem Sterling was in the midst of his best ever season. But look at how many parts you can take out of this Man City side, and it still functions very well. De Bruyne has missed the entire season. Mm. David Silva's been out. Sergio Aguero has been out. He's rotated Sterling, Sané, the centre-backs. The one piece they can't do without Fernandinho. And when he misses games, they lose at home to Palace. They lose to Leicester. He comes back in. They beat Southampton. They beat Liverpool. And it's really clear that the way City want to play and trap teams into the final third and never let them get out, protect themselves from the counter-attack because they play very high up, there's only one man capable of almost single-handedly pinning teams into their own third, and it's Fernandinho, because he's tactically very clever, he's very aggressive, his anticipation is incredible, and without him, the left-back issue rises to the fore, the centre-backs get caught high up, it's amazing how many things he does for this team... And they were laid bare over
0: the course of December. Dean, is there a kind of plan in place for replacing him? Obviously, he's coming to the latter end of his career. And, you know, City are surely looking at options to to make sure that he... Is replaced viably?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that they need to find a solution. We've seen already that they haven't got that solution right now. I think Gundogan, to be honest, was somebody that looked to kind of play that role to a certain extent. Just doesn't have that defensive nous to back it up. Unfortunately, he can do the passing bit, but can't do the defensive bit. I think that's now been shown up. So I think it might be a case that um, if City go back into the transfer market um, in the summer window, maybe that's
0: where they're looking. I just want to close Hot Takes off with a little chat about Lionel Messi. January was six days old when Messi completed the pass of the year, taking out <laughs> six Catafé players with an impossible ball. He can't see it. There's absolutely no way that he can see that pass. And he manages to slide it between three players, make a defender think he's going the other way and place Suarez in. The only thing that's missing is a finish. But what a ball the
1: weight of that pass is unbelievable I mean if if you haven't seen this pass from Messi yet then stop listening to his podcast go and watch this pass and then come back but you just have to type in Messi pass and it will come up because it is the best pass of his career possibly the best pass in the history of football (laughs) I haven't seen every pass yet but we're trying to get there to confirm this but yeah it's unbelievable stuff from Messi even by his standards
2: it's definitely made me think again about who the best reverse passer in the world is because I thought it was David Silva turns out I was wrong Lionel Messi.
0: Wait till he moves further back the field and we see more of this. It's going to just keep happening, isn't it, as he moves backwards? Well, that's hot takes for the first time in 2019. And that leads us on, I think, quite nicely to, Sam, your main ranking this week. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what you've decided to rank for this first episode?
2: Sure. So... It's the beginning of the year. Why not take a look at the year as a whole? Everybody likes to make predictions, right? Football fans in particular. So I thought I'd make five predictions or highlight five things that I think may happen or could happen, and we'll have a chat about you Are them. you going to rank them in order of predictability?
0: Yes, I'm going to go for that. So but number <laughs> one is the thing you think is most likely to happen?
2: Yes. Excellent. So we'll start with the uh, with the one that Dean's going to raise his eyebrows at, at me, I think. <laughs> um, I think 2019 is the year that Gareth Bale... Finally returns to England. I hope so. I think this is this is, feels like it's been on the cards for absolutely ages. We talk about it every summer. Pretty much since he's been to Real Madrid. We've talked about Gareth Bale possibly returning. One thing or another has stopped that from happening. I feel like this is the right year. And the reason I think this is Real Madrid might just be clearing out a little bit this year. We might be we might be witnessing the end of that incredible cycle that won three Champions Leagues in a row. And when when that group of players, no matter the team, no matter the era, when that when that group of players doesn't achieve what they what what they were doing so, they tend to break up. And I think we might see a fair few big names leave Real Madrid the end of in twenty nineteen. We're talking potentially Bale, potentially Luka Modric, probably Karen Benzema. I mean, it should be Benzema. And Kayla Navas needs to get out of there if he's not going to play some games because he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world and he should not be. A number two. So this is one of the reasons I think Bale may just end up on English shores again. Now the question is where does he end up? I mean you need to have the financial package for him, right? So that pretty much rules out most teams, but Man United has often been talked about. Chelsea have been linked in the past. A romantic return to Tottenham, I'd love to see it. I don't know where he goes, but I think he comes
0: back. Is that, you know, tactically a good thing for the likes of Isco, Marco Asensio, those players who maybe are still part of the rotation cycle at Madrid and and need really to have a new team built around them if they're to succeed in in Los Blancos' colours?
2: Quite possibly, yeah. Particularly for Isco. Isco feels like the kind of guy you build a team around. Um, And look, they've had this they've had this battle of like who who should we build around for a long time because before this it was ronaldo and how to how to deal with that and how to play isco with ronaldo with benzema and how to get bale into that so the problems never actually stop right you just reshuffle a little bit but if i was real madrid and i had to choose someone to rebuild around i would choose isco no offence to Gareth Bale, Isco's just a phenomenal footballer yep. and, he, and he gets injured far less frequently. So that, that frees up Bale, I think. And hey, if that helps Asensio, who has had a poor season, yes. and if that helps Isco, who again hasn't lived up to what we know he can do, then great for Real Madrid. They had to sort it out
0: mean, where, if Bale does come back to English shores, is he most likely to end up, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think Man United is the place. I mean, I think I wrote about three and a half years ago for the Mirror that Bale was seriously considering coming back. He was torn about whether to stay in Spain. At the time, he was getting a lot of stick in Spain at the Bernabeu. And he's definitely considered coming back before and it's United have always been in his mind. When he joined Real Madrid, the only other place that really, really could have tempted him in England was Old Trafford. And so I think when it comes to his decision, if United are still interested, which I think they will be, He'll be tempted by that. I also think that you know, Sam's um, prediction is a great one because I am absolutely obsessed with Isco and I totally agree that he needs to be made more a part of this plan going forward. And uh, if that means that Bale is, is back in the Premier League,
0: then it's a double win for me. Yes, indeed. Sam, what's at number four?
2: Okay, so I know I said I would rank them on you know likelihood of happening, but I did I did happen to just put this one at fourth because it felt right. I think Real Madrid will finish fourth <laughs> oh, th- this season in La Liga, um, and I think they'll go trophyless uh, to add that in as well. It's we just been, lost about all our subscribers. Yeah, sorry guys, um, they'll <laughs> switch it off. Look, you don't you don't need me to tell you that it's been a pretty dismal season for Real Madrid. Yes. I know there are there are a fair few fans of the club who are still kind of hanging on to the idea that, you know, it can be turned around and it it, it can go better for them. Hey, they're in the Champions League latter stages. They have made their name as a club, as a a performer on the big nights. And there's no reason why in a game of football, something can't just go your way. But they've lost nine games already this season. Like Mm. they lost around five last season in total, right? They're still going to play Barcelona again. They're still going to get to the latter stages of the Champions League and face a tough game. Honestly, this Real Madrid side... They feel like they're kind of falling apart a little bit this season. The manager that they've appointed, Santiago Solari, hasn't obviously had the desired effect. He certainly hasn't been the next Zidane stepping up from Castilla into the senior side. I'm not sure who stops this from unraveling further. And finishing fourth for Real Madrid would be a bit of a disaster, but I think it's going to happen.
0: I know you're currently saying that that would be a travesty for Real Madrid, but could the unthinkable happen? They're currently sat in fifth, obviously behind Alivec, who have had a wonderful start to the season and might not, given their squad depth, etc., be able to keep that pace up for the entire La Liga campaign. But Betis are four points behind Real Madrid and they play each other this Sunday afternoon. If they beat Real Madrid, they're hot on their heels and Betis do have a squad capable of sustaining a challenge for the entire campaign. You know, we saw last year under Kike Setien that they are a good side and, and capable of beating anyone on their day. If Madrid were to finish fifth outside the Champions League spots, would there be turmoil? Would there be chaos? What would happen at the Bernabeu? My goodness knows what happens. I mean, look, it's... They deploy cert- as their next manager
2: to get him forth. It's certainly it's certainly viable, Jack. And like you, you, you measure up Real Betis this season against Real Madrid, and if Real Madrid go and play Real Betis at home like they will this weekend, like I shade it towards the home side there. The question then becomes maybe further down the line, Betis, Europa League commitment, squad depth, and whether or not they can really hack that as well. So it's the same question that you posit for Deportivo Alaves also applies to Real Betis in a different way. However, yeah it's possible because it is that bad. I mean, I've basically got I, mean, I got, Also, this is in a, in a year where Atletico Madrid have so consistently failed to find their top level. In a, in a year where Diego Godin's level has dropped so, so seriously that it looks like he might be on his way out over the next six months. Like Atletico are having a sort of mini clear out themselves. They're not themselves, or as we've come to expect over the last five or six years. And Real Madrid still aren't better than them. Sevilla are probably the second best side in La Liga. And I would back them on current form or over the course of the season to finish in second place ahead of both Atletico and Real Madrid. I mean, that's where we are. It's crazy stuff. I mean, I've been following Marco
1: quite closely because whenever Real Madrid don't do well, I love to just read how it's being interpreted over in Spain. And um, they've been saying Real Madrid and the never-ending crisis. And uh, one headline that really jumped out was Real Madrid fans are bored after just 13 goals in nine home league matches. That is insane. Like, How can that happen to Real Madrid? Like, no matter how bad things are there, you look at the players that they're able to put out in attack and they should be scoring... Two, three goals a game. Yeah. The Burnabout
2: expects. The Burnabout expects.
0: And Real Madrid are very much not delivering. Absolutely. Sam, what's a number three?
2: Tottenham Hotspur win a trophy. Scrap it. (laughs) <laughs> start again, start again, do your point again. Tottenham Hotspur win a trophy. Um, it's going to happen in 2019, I think. I think they're ready. I mean... They've, they've got to be ready, they've had now the, or never. The talent levels have been there for several years. Uh, this squad hasn't necessarily changed too much over the last two or three years. They're relying on the same key tenants, which is see Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, Dele Alli, Toby Alderville, Jan Vertong and Hugo Lloris. We've got the same kind of spine running through the team, the same difference makers... And I feel like it's always been a question with Spurs with maturity on the big stage rather than when it comes down to talent. They blew a massive chance last year in the FA Cup semi-finals when they played against Man United. I was there to watch it. I watched them blow United away for 20 minutes and take an early lead and just fall apart on the big stage. I mean, obviously, they're up against United, who traditionally have thrived on that stage in particular, someone like Jesse Lingard is, 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 is becoming known as a big game player and Jose Mourinho was able to eke that victory out. And Tottenham just kind of talked themselves out of winning that game. Mm. I reckon it changes for them in 2019. I'm seeing an enhanced maturity from Tottenham. And I'm also looking at these away performances they're putting in recently. I mean, look at that. 16 goals in their last three away games. Appreciate what is Tranmere Rovers away in the FA Cup. <laughs> but... This is, a this is a seriously scary side mm. and you've got players like Son who have never looked better. Kane who is scoring just as consistently as before. Eriksen and Ali have been very, very good when available and even with injuries in central midfield and, in, and at centre-back, Pochettino has rotated his squad so well and produced very high levels from his players. I think with the fact that they're in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup, they're into the fourth round of the FA Cup, they've got two really good chances here to pull a trophy out. And look, it might still end up with people going, ah, but it was only a cup or whatever. They need to get this off their backs. It
1: changes everything, the mindset. It, It changes everything. It happened. It's happened for Chelsea before. You know, you just see the lift that it gives everyone. Supporters suddenly have a belief and a feeling they haven't had before. Players in that squad suddenly get a taste of how it feels. And it just, the next time you're in that situation and you're looking to close out a game or you're looking to get back into a game in a big cup tie it gives you the belief that you can do it. And obviously that would then help them in the league as well when they're they're trying to close out big results, which they haven't been able to do. I think that the FA Cup is a fantastic opportunity for them because, you know, whatever happens in the League Cup, people are still going to frown upon it because a lot of teams don't take it very seriously. The FA Cup, I know not everybody played their full-strength teams, but traditionally, and still today, it's a huge competition. The FA Cup final is one of the most-watched sporting events in the world. If Tottenham were to win that... It would be a huge, huge thing for them, for Pochettino, for Harry Kane, for those Tottenham fans, and it'd be pretty much be a home fixture for them as well because they'll be playing it at Wembley. So they've got they've got that opportunity as well. They've got to take that. They've got to use that to their advantage. Nobody else has ever had this chance to play a home fixture in, in cup finals, <laughs> which Tottenham are getting. So. Listen, the time is theirs now because if it doesn't happen this season as well, then they're going to lose their manager. They'll lose their best players. They'll be back in the stadium. Who knows how that's going to go back at White Hart Lane. So, yeah, Tottenham need to make the
0: most of this moment. I think Sam's right. I think it's just the year Tottenham do it. I was going to say, is that the key to keeping hold? We see these links every day in the press and and all around that... You know, Real Madrid are interested in Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen, and Barcelona are interested in Deli Ali, and Pochettino is linked with everyone mm. under the sun every time there's a, a big managerial vacancy. If they win a trophy, is that the key to them keeping hold of those players and keeping those players happy? It's a massive key to, to keeping
1: them happy, and not only that, but but convincing big players from other sides, that they should be coming to Tottenham and not the other way around. That's how you change the feel and become a big club. Tottenham are on the verge of, of being considered an elite club, but they're not there. And I think that 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 is how you change the mindset. And I think that um, Tottenham know that. Daniel Levy knows that. He, he's he been pretty lucky, really, that he's had such loyal people alongside him. A lot of people would have walked away. Kane might have walked away. Pochettino might have walked away before now. He should be grateful that um, that they've stuck by him and now let's see if they can um all come out of this successful. Sam, what's in at number 2?
2: In at number 2, uh Manchester City will win the Premier League not Liverpool. Oh. That's, that's a big I prediction. I mean that,
1: that wouldn't have been a big prediction a few weeks ago, would it? But now it well, feels like it
2: yeah. it is. I mean last week it would have been huge, but I mean but they've, they've, I they tripped, probably yeah. not. Absolutely. I mean and and that's like the blip. Can we call it a blip. Yes, it is a blip. Man City lost two games in a row in December. Um they it, lost it, three and four. But. It, yeah, it was it was a real it was it was a really tough patch. But they they've had their tough patch. Exactly. I don't I think they're going to have another one. They've got the depth to see this one out. And as we saw at Molyneux against Wolves in the FA Cup, Liverpool simply do not. I know they've got a central defensive in- injury crisis, but I reckon Liverpool are more reliant on Virgil Van Dijk than Manchester City are on Fernandinho or any other player. I dread to think what happens to Liverpool's defense over the course of a month if Van Dijk goes down injured. They are basically banking on no more injuries to key players. Because I dread don't... to
1: think what happens to their fans on Twitter because there's going to be an absolute breakdown if they don't if they don't close this out. I mean, this is a fantastic opportunity for them, like you say, and I agree with you there. I think Van D- losing Van Dijk would be. Way bigger than anything Man City could lose. But look, look he hasn't been injured. We, that's we
0: saw... what we're saying. That you, you, is this prediction based on the fact that Van Dijk will get injured? Because that's a very, very risky prediction to make. So the prediction
2: is over the court. Liverpool are yet to have their blip, or they may they may just be in the midst of it, having lost two games in a row. Mm-hmm. But we may not want to include the FA Cup game in that because of the team that they fielded yes. and the fact that they had to rest after the City game. But I think Liverpool will have their moment where they wobble, and a four point gap at this point, with a wobble expected, is not enough to hold off a city side that just have the most outrageous depth in every position other than defensive midfield. Fernandinho's position. If Fernandinho plays, it doesn't matter. I mean, look, they just played against Liverpool without a left-back. They played; they had to shift Laporte over, and he was great. Like They yeah, did do well. They are, they are so well-stacked in, in almost every area, and it really shows in the squad selections when you compare Manchester City's to Liverpool. That March period is going to be absolutely horrendous for Liverpool, unless they bow out of the Champions League. I mean, they're already out of two cups, mm-hmm. right? But they're going to have to manage their, their priorities there. They might get to the point, and I've heard a couple of the Liverpool fans say it, I hope we go out of the Champions League against Bayern Munich because they want this Premier League so
1: badly. But that's dangerous as well, because like we've taken before with, with Tottenham, this is a mentality thing. You, you go back to the issue here, it's, it's all about winning. Man City players know how to win. They knows, know how to close out trophies. Liverpool's squad are on the back of losing a Champions League final that they shouldn't really have lost, especially in that style. I know that they lost Salah and that a huge you know, nightmare in that sense, but they still lost a Champions League final that was there for the take-in. They've then come into a, a season, managed to get over that, But their new questions are going to be asked about them with every game that they lose. And Now they have started to lose games and we have to see how they react to that. I agree with Sam. I think that a bad spell is to come. I don't know if we are seeing it right now or if it's to come later on in the season. But I think that Man City have got a resilience a winning mentality, a belief and a coach in Pep Guardiola that can overcome a moment like this. We've all seen that documentary and we've seen what goes on in that Man City dressing room now and how he addresses bad periods and I think that they come through this stronger and I think that Man City, I actually think we haven't seen the best of them this season yet.
0: I don't think we have either. I also don't think we've seen the best of Liverpool. I, I do. I think flow. that there's
1: no way Liverpool can maintain
0: the type of football they've been playing for an entire season. See, no I, way. I think this is Liverpool's title and, and the only thing I would caveat that with is I think City will trump them by winning the Champions League. Uh, That would be my prediction of of what would happen because there's so much riding on this now for Liverpool and and you see Van Dijk making those challenges over and over again and I think I would caveat also with the fact that if Van Dijk stays fit for the entire season, Liverpool will win the league.
2: So one one other factor here is the fixture list and the way it shakes out over the first half of the season and the second half of the season. Man City have done... Arsenal away, Chelsea away, Liverpool away. I think Man United away. But that's basically it. They've done Tottenham away in 1 1 0. So that's almost everyone in the top six away from home done. The home stretch is at home against the big teams. That's such an advantage.
0: It's so difficult. To a point. You know, one of one of the things we've always said about Man City is, you know, when Liverpool need a result, Anfield. Erupts. Anfield really does step up to the mark, and we've seen that in Champions League nights over and over and over again. Whilst the Etihad was loud against Liverpool, and it was yeah, you know, as loud up. as I can't see that happening week in, week out. I, I think that that rivalry with Liverpool, or you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to make of it, if it's if you think it's fabricated or, or whatever. You know, they stepped up for that because they truly believed in that rivalry and they truly believe in the Premier League and kind the of title in, in ways that, you know, there's a whole thing with Man City fans and the Champions League and, and all of that. But take that out of the equation. They stepped up because I think they thought that was their biggest game of the season and it was. Yep. But can they do that every single week? I don't think so. They stepped up because they had to win. They had to win and they have to continue
2: winning because they're four points behind.
0: That's it's not an option. But can you imagine? Can you see the Etihad re- making that same noise, making that same atmosphere while they're
1: behind? It? Yeah, and then I think it will carry on. I that's what I mean by this working to their advantage. If they were still top of the league, you wouldn't have seen that atmosphere. Okay. It's given them all a taste of, oh, what if we let this slip? We shouldn't be letting this slip, and now it's made them more hungry. Okay. That in 2016, I said Leicester wouldn't win the league, and I was wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so don't take me too seriously. Listen, yeah, what I would lot. say, what I would say as a closing note on that is that one of these teams is not going to win the title and they're going to miss out despite getting at least 85 points. And it's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to suck. I'm going to feel really sorry for whichever fan base it is because their team would have put together an amazing season, an absolutely superb season. And one of them isn't going to win it. That's football. And that sucks. But... Credits to both teams for, for for making it what it is, it's which is going so to be an
0: incredible Absolutely. few months. Absolutely, so Sam, you have one prediction left. Do you think the most likely thing to happen in 2019? What's your guess?
2: Pochettino chooses Real Madrid over Manchester United.
0: That's a big, big call. take.
2: It is, isn't it? Explain. It is, isn't it? Was, number one, especially. I mean, I was is- pleased with that big big call for number one but you know you've got to be bold in your predictions I'm also fairly sure Real Madrid will need a new manager in the summer Mm -hmm. so they'll go to their number one target and uh, Real Madrid tend to get their number one target to be honest with you I mean Pochettino as recently as this week has spoken about how he could happily spend 20 years at Tottenham and how he's very very happy and he's very comfortable and Look, Pochettino's a nice dude, and he doesn't betray his chairman in the media. He doesn't say things that open him up to criticism later. He doesn't say things that then people can go, oh, well, clearly you wanted that job. He says all the right things and toes the party line, and he's done a good job this week, or so he thought, because I'm here talking about it. He thought he'd done (laughs) a good job of trying to brush this under the carpet. But I'm basically seeing through all of that. We know from various reports, we know from Dean Jones, that Pochettino would be very, very interested in that Real Madrid job. And he, I think he would take it over Manchester United. And again, it's a similar thing to the City-Liverpool thing. These are two of the biggest clubs in the world. I'm not for one second suggesting it's just the easiest choice in the world. But the opportunity to go and manage Real Madrid, he will not be able to pass up. And I think he would take that over Manchester United. It's really interesting
1: because Man United are going to make a decision at the end of the season about what they do. But they've now found Solskjaer, they've found something which potentially could continue beyond this season. I don't think they would have foreseen that. Obviously, we have to see how it works out for the rest of the season. But they do now have an opportunity to give him the job, which they hadn't seen before. It means that to get Pochettino, which is their top top choice, they've still got to do it at the end of the season because he's not going to hang around much longer. Um, and Real Madrid are there waiting. Real Madrid, no, if they want Pochettino, they also have to make their move in the summer. There's no reason for Real Madrid to not make that move. They're not going to stick with Solari beyond the end of this season. No. They're not, they're not going to go into next season with Solari rebuilding the squad and putting faith in him. It's just not the way they do things. And there don't seem to be too many other candidates that are up to that job in terms of looking at someone's CV and saying, we can put our faith in this man. Pochettino is probably the most desired coach in the world right now. And rightly so. I think that, um, Tottenham have got an absolute gem. They know it and they're trying to get everything they possibly can out of him. He is a loyal guy. He is a really nice guy, but he's also a really ambitious guy. And from what I'm told, if he could take his pick of the clubs, he would want real Madrid. So I think that in, in that sense, um, Absolutely. He's got a big decision to make at the end of the season, and it's very difficult to see him staying at Tottenham if Real Madrid do put an offer on the table.
0: I think that's probably all about it for your main ranking of this first season. When do we come so? back
1: today to see if uh, we're right? Do we come back on the thirty first of December? I
0: think yeah, we'll we'll have a look at these maybe in June. Yeah, or June. In June, okay. July, and yeah. then we'll we'll probably have one more look at them at the end of the year to, to see how see if, many of these Sam got right and, if and, got and see if and we're yeah, gonna yeah, keep yeah. him or sack him. <laughs> I think we'll know the year.
2: majority of them by June and July for yeah. sure. Sure, yeah, we'll yeah.
0: see if we'll uh, you'll be on this podcast in, in 2020, Sam. <laughs> at, at <that> point. <laughs> well, well, after the break, we're going to be bringing in a brand new section called Bleacher Roulette, which we'll explain after. And Sam's got one more ranking at the end to close things off. Welcome back to Be Our Football Ranks with Sam Tai, Dean Jones and me, Jack Collins. With a big ranking out of the way, let's get on to the next part of the show, which is called Bleacher Roulette. We've got loads of questions on our big Wheel of Fortune here, which have been submitted by various members of the BR Football Office, and we're going to spin the wheel and answer whichever question comes up. If you want to get involved, you can submit your questions to us using the hashtag BRFootballRanks on Twitter. For now, Dean, let's get it started.
1: What is the best invention ever in football? It's obviously quite a broad subject, this one the thing that comes to mind straight away for me and I I don't know why is the Adidas Predator football boots because wow wow. (laughs) I don't know why that's come to my mind but as inventions go I mean I can't think of too many in the modern day that have actually changed the game I don't want to say VAR because that bores me but um, (laughs) they were a football boot that were designed to help you add power and curl to your football shots. And I remember when they came out and everybody went out and bought them thinking they were suddenly going to become David Beckham. It was a huge branding thing. It kind of changed the way we looked at modern football. It kind of set the ball rolling for the way that we now buy boots and merchandise and how we all want the latest gimmicks and, and things to help us with our game. And I was at an age where I should have probably fallen for that trick, but I didn't at the time. I was a striker and didn't really feel I needed a uh, predators. I thought they were more of a midfielder's boot, right? But
2: yeah. um, you didn't need help with your finishing, did you? I didn't actually. You know, I was
1: really good at scoring goals. But um, <laughs> the predator are one of the greatest inventions of our time, and the retro boots are now coming back and loads of people are getting on that bandwagon and getting predators so I'm actually sticking by that I've just
0: convinced myself that is the best invention ever in those football. champagne predators that David Beckham used to wear were the absolute bomb uh, exactly. they were so nice Sam what's your greatest invention
2: yeah I mean my mind went straight to goal line technology not quite as actually, actually yeah, maybe even more boring as Definitely far and Dean's boring. but sums you up one of the <laughs> things I really really hate in football is just uncertainty and people arguing over like what might have been and what could could have been and just like goal line technology was such a simple fix and it has removed all of that and this is in obviously only a few days after John Stones's clearance off the line against Liverpool which was 11 millimetres from going mm-hmm. over the line but just all of that rubbish which was oh but this could have happened and that was definitely over the line and how did he miss this none of that happens anymore Referee's got a watch he tells you it was in or it wasn't and I like that clarity <laughs> okay that pleases me that enhances the football viewing. Right. The predator boots were nice, obviously. Yeah, but the I do goal line
0: predators. technology has made a more tangible impact on improving the sport. I'm gonna throw it back past both of you and go for the back pass rule. Oh, <laughs> okay. I think that if we were looking at the the game as a whole and what actually influenced how we watch football, the the change to not allow keeper to pick the ball mm. up when back from his own player absolutely transformed the game. You know, that we were reading and, and watching Players who would, when defending a lead, would get the ball, dribble it out to the halfway line, turn it around, and just hoof it back yeah. to their goalkeeper, who would pick it up. And being able not to do that anymore completely changes the end of games. It, it makes for excitement, it makes for drama, and all of those 90th minute winners and, and you know equalisers and all that that makes the game exciting mm. all comes and stems from this change. Totally
2: agree. I do like that. I, I honestly didn't even didn't cross my mind because. I not Well, I didn't. I wasn't watching football when it was in. Well, I was I know. But. I know. So neither of us were really around. Uh, Dean, you can't use that argument. You probably should have come up with that yourself. But I invented I, it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, Jack, I, I I completely see your point there. It has changed a lot. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Oh, right, we move on. Sam, do you want to spin the wheel?
2: As a fan, is it better to have high or low expectations? Definitely low. (laughs) Without a shadow of a doubt, low expectations. Football is a cruel game and fandom, for the most part, revolves around guarding yourself against disappointment and agony. So with that in mind, it's always important to expect almost nothing from your team. Even in a cup final. Even in, especially in a cup final. You can't get to a cup final to watch your team expecting to lose. Yeah, you can. <laughs> oh Most mo- more more often than not, if you go in with that mentality, you win. Okay, which not only makes the victory all the sweeter, but if you do actually lose, you were like, "Well, I knew that would happen." And then, the and then you don't get the high. You don't get the high hopes.
1: I should have low expectations, but I. I just find it impossible. Like football's there to make you dream. You support teams because you want to dream of all the things that can be possible. And I guess whichever team is pushed on you as a kid is ultimately um, the way that your life tends to pan out and how much success you're going to have or not and how high you set your dreams. But you can't be turning up to, to Wembley with a glum face, sat down, ready to watch a
2: final, say, Oh, I knew that would happen as soon as the other team scores. It's not just that, though. I mean, like, for example, my football team... Do you ever fine. enjoy when, when, yourself? No. When I, when, I, when I picked an American football team, I had an option of 32, right? Because I don't have any ties. Yeah, there's no ties. Really, no you know yeah. So at that point, I refused to pick a traditionally successful team that won very regularly. Because I find that boring. Like, if I just go, ah, oh, we'll probably win that. There's not, there's, all you can get from that is disappointment. Because if you win, you go, yeah, well, obviously we should have won that. And if you lose, it's like, how the hell did we lose that? Yeah. that? For me, that is... That is ultimately part of it is like when you don 't expect to win and you win, that amplifies the feeling and
0: the joy i think there's a there 's a maybe a middle ground here you know? <laughs> oh. you know, i'm not I'm not offensive <laughs> traditionally, but I feel like you can go in with low expectations of how your club are going to do but but then going to a final or going to a big game and expecting you know results expecting miracles aren't definitely two sides of a coin i feel like there you can over the course of a season have low expectations about something but when it comes to a moment in itself and that's i suppose the glory of football those moments Mm. where you you know you feel caught up in it in the whole rush and and underdog stories are are born out of confidence and and ability and and drive a lot of the time and that Mm. comes from believing in yourselves and so i think you can you know, not be overconfident and not be like, "Well, we're going to win this game," we- while still, you know, expecting something to happen that's a positive thing. I think that's the, probably the end of yeah, it. Very rational, view. yeah. What the hell? Can know. you um, <laughs> <laughs> can you
2: can you tell us the, the team I support has ground
0: me down <laughs> yeah, at the time? You're just <laughs> broken, broken. We'll do a separate <laughs>
2: show about them another day. Yeah.
0: Let's take a spin of the wheel. <laughs> Who had a worse season, Le Petigui or Mourinho? I'm going to go Lapetegui because I don't think it's possible to do as many things wrong. I didn't think it was possible <laughs> to do as many things wrong in a row as Julian Lapetegui did this season. I just couldn't fathom how badly he played every single hand he was dealt. You know, he was in charge and doing really well with quite a lovely Spain team. He managed to leak it to the you know, but to his own players and disrupt the camp before a World Cup, then get sacked take the Real Madrid job, not do very well with it, like concede the higher amount of goals, not score any goals, in, in, like creating bad Real Madrid records, <laughs> then get sacked and his stock is at an all-time low. <laughs> at least with Mourinho, you know, he's already got the, the pedigree and we've seen, yes, he's had a tough year and yes, his football's been diabolical at times, but ultimately I think Mourinho just needs to rest uh, and maybe uh, kind of sit back and realign the principles of what made him successful in the first place. I don't know where Le Petigui goes. I, I don't know what job he takes to get himself back in the game. It almost feels like an Andre vs. boas moment. And he just literally quit the game and went into motorsports. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for that, I, I'm going to have to go Le Petigui,
2: But, I, I mean, Sam? I don't have any arguments with that. I don't think anyone had a worse year than Julian Le Petigui, Like... Like As you say, just dealt every, every hand he was dealt, he just played it so poorly, squandered two incredible positions in world football, could quite easily, had he just done things appropriately, won a World Cup and then taken over Real Madrid, that obviously didn't happen. Like it, the way it fell apart was spectacular. And the thing is, he was in such a strong position on like June the 5th that you just didn't really see this unravelling. However, with Mourinho, surely you could see it starting to unravel, even yeah. at, even to the latter stages of the last season, through pre-season as well. He was just having a go at everyone and be, and it was getting very grouchy. So the shock factor, the shock nature of Lopetegui's fall also adds to that and just makes it even worse, really.
1: But I tell you what, for me, does add something to this for Mourinho and perhaps does mean that he had a worse year, is that, yes, all this stuff happened and we saw it unravelling, mm-hmm. And he acted like he was like a school janitor rather than manager of one of the most successful football clubs of all time, like the coolest jobs you could ever get. Um, he then left and saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer come in, pretty much an amateur when it comes to managing elite clubs and making it all look really easy. So Mourinho, the grumpiest man in the world, is sat back home saying, well, we'll watch this, we'll see that he can't do any better, and actually he's really good at it because he just lets the players go and express themselves. So when you consider probably on December the 31st, the faces of the two men. I reckon Mourinho would have been a lot grumpier
0: and probably <laughs> thinking, <laughs> I hate
1: my life. I really don't like this year. I can't wait for a new one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it for Bleacher Roulette. Yeah, you can get involved by hitting us up on Twitter with hashtag BRFootballRanks. You can also get involved with this next segment. Sam is going to close off every episode as the rank god by ranking something non-football related. We We call it the nonsense ranking. And Sam picks from a a list every week of what he's going to rank but you can get involved by adding to that list with the same hashtag just let us know it's for the nonsense rankings rather than for the roulette wheel please sam (laughs) what have you picked this week yeah
2: this is basically a platform for me to set my own personal agendas and i'm going to relish it at the end of each episode uh this week i've gone with consoles games consoles as a ranking Mm -hmm. and every week it will be a top three I'll go from three through to one, and these are, look, very personal, very subjective. You can't argue with me because my, they're, my, they're my picks.
0: I can argue with no. you, and I will. So,
2: <laughs> actually, you might not argue with this one. Number three is the original Game Boy. Oh. Big. Black and white very small screen you could hide it Loved pretty it. much anywhere so your parents didn't know that you were playing it yeah. because ultimately all you were doing at that age was playing pokemon red yeah uh i'm pretty sure or no well, i was pretty sure at the time that the game boy original was literally built to play pokemon it then transpired there were more games yeah
0: i i never knew anyone that played other games no, until recently
2: no but that was one of the best look pokemon red What a game. Unbelievable. This is going back 15, 20 years, but unbelievable. I'll move on. Number two, Nintendo 64. Mm -hmm. Nintendo 64 was amazing. And it has probably the most classics of any console for me. So go like Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, one of the greatest games ever made. Super Mario 64, Mario Kart, GoldenEye 007 was absolutely amazing. I think the N64 brings together the highest number of classics that you remember from, what I remember from my childhood. Um, So that's in at two. And then at one, I've tried to stave off some of the nostalgia and just go with what I'm pretty sure is the logical choice. PlayStation 4 is really good. Yes. (laughs) And it's maybe not, maybe not, it's the the sexiest answer where you're looking at the N64 and the Game Boy original further down. But PS4, man, like, Red Dead Redemption 2, FIFA, Horizon Zero Dawn, like ridiculously good games, like changing the face of it. I'd also like to just make this clear, like I'm not an Xbox guy and that's where the divide comes in. I find the Xbox no. unusable. The main menus are shambles. The, the The whole thing where you have to register in with an account is terrible. I think Microsoft really needs to look at that and I feel like if you're trying to pick between the two because they're very similar, Sony have nailed it with the very simple basic parts of it Yeah, and I
0: find the Xbox just... Just really unruly. Right, I I too am Team Sony when it comes to consoles. But I think you have missed out the greatest console of all time, which was the PSP. The PSP (laughs) was the game changer of all consoles. It you could play whatever games you wanted in high quality. You know, great screen. Yeah, but you could also go on MSN Messenger. You could go on the internet. You could download music. You could you know listen to music. It was it was basically an iPod phone. You know, little tablet and games console rolled into one. The greatest thing ever invented.
1: Well, I actually had something that came before that, the the Sega Game Gear and the, my favourite thing about that was that you could where the games cartridge went in you could whack in a TV tuner so that you could quickly turn it into a TV channel if you could find one because you had to out this aerial push it up in the air <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think I, like <laughs> I think I watched England v Tunisia I think I watched England v on it actually in one of my school lessons once uh, <laughs> so it did come in handy once so massive shout out to the Game Gear for that one
0: the only big question I have I mean apart from the lack of the PSP is that the Game Boy Colour was a better console than the Game Boy original because it was in colour and it was smaller and everything about it was just superior and it only came out about a year afterwards. I didn't own one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: wasn't given one of those. I just got a
2: Game Boy original.
0: I, I didn't play an in black and white. Well. No, the, the colour was, was, oh, was... I had a yellow one with my Pokemon yellow. I've you no doubt it was rich boys
1: from one of the big schools. <laughs> no, I,
0: you know, it was my... Uh, it was my, pres- my present for Christmas one. Oh, I was okay, really terrible. excited. Um, yeah, but it was the... That was the... That would be my major kind of takeaway from. I your... consider that a fair point. A fair point, well made. Right, well, I think that that's pretty much sums up everything we've got today for VR Football Ranks. If you've enjoyed this, please get over to iTunes or Spotify or whichever podcast app suits you, and make sure that you've subscribed. And while you're at it, we'd love your ratings and reviews on those platforms as well. Remember that you can always get involved with the podcast by using the hashtag, hashtag VRFootballRanks. Get in touch with your suggestions for Bleacher Roulette next week or for Sam's Nonsense Rankings. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you to Sam Tai. Thank you, Jack. To say thank you to Dean Jones. Cheers. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks and we'll see you next week.